I was telling Derek earlier, I think the last time I was at Hope Church was before COVID. That was like a generation ago. That was like a long time. You were still at the Fellowship of Oak Brook, not outside yet, but inside. Um, and I thought, I told Rob, I was like, it was just a year or two ago. And it's not a year or two ago. It's been a long time. So most of you, I don't know. Um, so I, I will say that I know Rob is a man of few words. So I hope I don't go too long. No, I'm only kidding. All right. So I'm, I'm glad to be with you. I'm excited about this. I've known Rob since the beginning. I remember when Hope Church started, and it is just cool to be with you here tonight. I'm preaching tomorrow morning at our church on Matthew 7, um, but tonight we're talking about Matthew 14, so I hope I do not confuse those two things. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. I know you've been walking through the book of Matthew and so we're going to pick up in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. And um, to set this up, um, I, I don't know if you did this last week. I'm not sure where you are in this. But um, what happened last week? Was it last week? So you, you're going in order. Okay, so you were in the beginning of, of chapter 14. All right, so what, what has happened? Does anybody remember? Oh, she might could tell us. We could ask Siri. Um, what, what has just happened? Because in just a minute, we're going to see that Jesus sends his disciples out in a boat to go to the other side of the lake. But what has happened just before this? Does anybody remember? Yes. Okay, that's great. A lot of things happen. But the, one of the biggest things that just happened was that Jesus fed or miraculously fed 5,000 people. There was... A few fish and loaves of bread, and he, he somehow miraculously multiplies it, feeds. And, and honestly, we think it was 5,000 families or family units, maybe 5,000 men and their wives and kids. So it, who knows how big the crowd was? It was a lot of people. All of them ate, and there was food left over. And when that happened, they thought, Jesus is pretty cool. And so they're like, man, anybody that can do that, that can feed my belly... And keep on feeding it like I'll follow him. Now that might not be the best reason to follow Jesus. In fact, it, what happens is in another gospel, not in Matthew, but in another gospel that records that story, it tells us that when Jesus did that, they wanted to make him the king. They wanted to crown him or coronate him as their king. Because they were thinking, man, if he can do that, we need to follow him. And they were thinking in an earthly sense, an earthly empire. And then look what happens. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 14, verse 22. Look at what it says. Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now remember what I told you? The crowds in another gospel at this moment tells us that they're enamored with Jesus, his fame and popularity, even to have a crowd that big. He's, a pretty, he's become pretty, pretty famous in this region. They want to make him the king. They want to make him their leader. He dismisses the crowd and sends his disciples away. We're going to find out why in the next verse. Look at verse 23. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came... He was alone there. In other words, he went up on that mountain to pray, and he stayed there for a while. Now why? 
constantly in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus goes off by himself to pray. It's interesting at this moment, I think, um, I think I know why he did this. Jesus constantly lives an audience of one kind of life. Do you know what I mean by that? An audience of one? That we're, leaving, we're living to please one person. And Jesus constantly demonstrates this. Now, after he fed the crowd, they wanted to coronate him as king. And then I think for a minute, what, what I was thinking about is that Jesus knew that his purpose wasn't to be an earthly king. He knew that the kind of king he was going to be was an eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. It wasn't an earthly king. In fact, he didn't, he didn't seem like an earthly king. He wasn't the warrior they wanted him to be. He, he wasn't starting an empire like they thought he was going to start. In fact, we know the story. He, he'll hang on a Roman cross and die. And that's not the kind of king or warrior or savior they expected. And so he knew that if they chose to coronate him as the king at this point, if he, if he was enamored with earthly kingdom and popularity and power, that that was not the purpose that God called him to. And so what he does is he slips off by himself, he dismisses the crowds, and he slips off to a mountain to pray by himself. You know why I think he does that? I don't know if Jesus was tempted like I am with power and prominence and prosperity. I think we're tempted with all kinds of earthly things. And I assume because he was fully man that he was tempted with those things too. Now we know that Jesus was sinless. But I really believe he was tempted just like you and I are, Hebrews says. And so I think at this moment, Jesus has a wrestle in his mind. Just like you and I do when we're tempted. Here he has immediate power, prosperity, popularity, prominence. And, and he has a decision to make. Are you going to listen to the crowd? Or are you going to listen to your father? And he slips up the mountain and he gets alone and for a while he prays. And I think it's because in that moment he needed to hear his father's voice more than the voice of the crowd, the noise of the world. He needed to be reminded in that moment of what he knew was true, that he was living for one purpose and for one audience. The glory of God, not earthly glory. The kingdom of God, not an earthly kingdom. Listen, I think for you and I, this battle is an everyday battle. You're either going to build your own kingdom and live for your own glory, or you're going to advance God's kingdom and live for His glory. But it is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day decision as to which one you're living for and which one you're dying for. And for Jesus, He needed the time with His Father to be reminded. And we can follow His example. Listen, I was thinking about this the other day when it, get, when it comes to prayer. I just want to talk about Jesus' example here for a minute because prayer in my own life is a bit of a roller coaster ride. I don't, I don't know about you. So I, I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> I was looking up research that says that the average American spends 145 minutes a day on social media. Does that sound right to you? 145 minutes a day, that's a little over two hours, two hours and 25, almost two and a half hours. Um, and I was, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, some people aren't average. Maybe you're not average, um, but that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And that doesn't even include 
watching videos or texting or playing games on, on the devices we have. The reason I mention that is this. When I look at my own, you know how it's on Sunday morning, when I'm about to preach on Sunday morning at Church at Cane Bay, my phone gives me a notification and reminds me of my screen time for the week before. I think God designed it that way for some reason. And I look at it, and I'm reminded of this, that my lack of prayer is not due to a lack of time. It's due to a lack of desire and a lack of belief that it's necessary and that I need to surrender to God's will and God's kingdom in my own life. If we're following the example of Jesus, then it would be an absolute priority. Why? Because the noise of this world, the voices of the crowd, that's why I mentioned social media, because if we're spending that much time on social media, listen, what's, what's happening is we're hearing the voice and the noise of the crowd. And, and that's not even the only crowd, the only noise that we hear. So we, we, you and I, are desperate to hear the voice of the one who made us and knows us and loves us and can tell us the truth. Jesus modeled what it's like to pull away to prioritize spending time with your Heavenly Father. And I know you know this. This is not a new thing to tell you that we ought to pray. But what I'm saying is that in my own life and in your life, we need to plan to pray. We need to pull away and prioritize it. You need to wake up early. You need to pull away from the noise and set aside time. Jesus, it says he was there till night praying. Like you and I, if we're not listening to the voice of our Father, you will listen to the noise and the voice of the crowds of this world. We need to spend some time with God every day, listening to His Word, talking to Him, and being reminded of what's true. All right, look at the next verse, verse 24. It says this, But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night... Jesus, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. You can circle that or highlight fear because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So the first thing I want us to talk about is the storm for just a minute. Did you notice that Jesus puts them on the boat, dismisses the crowd, puts them on a boat, sends them out into the water into a storm? Now, if he's Jesus, we just talked about him being fully man, but we also know he's fully God. Jesus, shake your head if you agree with me that Jesus knew that he was sending them into a storm. Did Jesus know that? Okay, some of you aren't shaking your head. I'm assuming you're just agreeing in your heart. All right. Um, Jesus knew that he was sending them out into a storm. Does that seem fair or right? He's sending them out into a crazy, violent storm where they're going to be scared to death. And Jesus knew he was doing it. Why? You know, nowhere in the Bible... Does it promise us that following God or trusting in Jesus will result in smooth sailing and calm seas? That's just not true. 
In fact, that, that's a false notion of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus sent him directly into the storm. And I don't know what that makes you think about God, but our God is a God who sends us into storms sometimes. We look around in our lives, and in the moment, it may not seem fair, it may not seem right, and we may go, God, what are you doing and where are you? But I know in my own life over this last year, I know for some of you, some of you I know, you've walked through storms. In this last year, I've walked through one of the hardest storms in my family that we've ever walked through. It had to do with my daughter. You know, the crazy thing is, when it comes to our kids, I, I feel like I can suffer a lot. But when it comes to my kids watching them suffer, watching them struggle, watching them doubt God and struggle with their own emotions, and even come to the point where they don't even want to live anymore, that's hard as a dad to watch that. That is a stormy sea to sail. And that lasted for a long time for me. But you know what? In the middle of that storm, I have seen God's hand. There have been days that I doubted. There have been days that I struggled. But there's also been days that I've seen God's hand clearer than I've ever seen it before. It's in those moments of desperation. It's in those moments when things just aren't right. That you fall on your knees and you have nowhere else to turn but to God. And it's in those moments I feel like I've grown the most in my life, in seasons of storms. It reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis, who said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't like that sometimes, but I know that's true. I know it's true. In fact, it reminds me of one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 3. It says this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now there have been times in my life that I looked at that passage and I wish that it had said, I won't send you through the water. I won't send you through the river. I won't send you through the fire. But it doesn't say that. It says, when you go through the floodwaters. When you go through the fire. In other words, it's going to get deep. It's going to get hot. It's going to feel scary. But what does he promise us? That he'll be with us. He's our redeemer, our savior. We don't have to fear. So let's talk about fear for just a minute. Because not only did we read it right there in Isaiah, but Jesus says to them, they're in fear in the boat, it tells us, right? They're scared. Things, the boat, it seems like the boat's going to come apart. It seems like they're not going to make it out of this storm. And then they see Jesus, and he's a ghostly figure in the water. They're even more scared at this point. And then Jesus says to them, he tells them who it is. He says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. You know, the, the, the phrase don't be afraid or don't fear happens 366 times in the Bible. Now, I don't know who counted that, but I looked it up this past week. 366 times. Does it, it uses the phrase in the Bible, 
don't be afraid or don't fear. That's one for every day plus one. So it must be a pretty big deal for us to understand that, that we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to fear. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus tells us why. When he says to his disciples in, in verse 27, he says, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He tells them why they don't have to be afraid. Because it's me, Jesus says. I'm here. I'm with you. The Son of God, Savior of the world, the one who will rescue you from everything, the one who has the power over sin and death, it's me. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. But I want you to look at the word in verse 27. He uses this phrase, take heart. Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. It's interesting. Um, I got a tattoo this past year. My first one, my only one. I don't know what you think about tattoos. Um, I'm a 49-year-old man. I have no business getting tattoos. <laughs> but I got a tattoo, and it's a Hebrew word that means um, kesed, or God's steadfast love. And the reason I needed that is because in the storm I was in this past year, I needed to be reminded that 242 times in the Bible, it tells me that God has an unfailing, steadfast love for me. And so I put it on my arm. But my wife put the word I'm about to tell you on her arm. We got tattoos at the same time. Neither one of us have ever had tattoos before. Um, I don't know what that says about us. But she got on her arm a Greek word. So my, I got a Hebrew word. The tattoo artist was so confused why we were getting Greek and Hebrew words on our arms. She's like, do you speak those languages? We're like, no. She's like, why are you getting that on your arm? She got a Greek word on her arm, and the, and the word is tharseo. And it's this word, this word that Jesus uses to take heart. Now, kesed, the word on my arm, is 242 times in the Bible. But tharseo, take heart or take courage, is only seven times in the Bible. And six out of those seven times, Jesus is the one who says it. In fact, you remember when um, the woman who had the issue of blood for all of those years, and she was unclean to so many people and no doctor could solve it, and she reaches for Jesus' garment and then she's healed, he looks at her in that moment and says, My daughter, take heart, take courage, tharseo. He says it on several other occasions. Even after he was resurrected, Paul is in prison. And Jesus appears to Paul in a vision while Paul's in prison. And he says, my son, Tharseo, take courage, take heart. The reason I point that out to you right now is I don't know where you are in your story. I, I don't know if it feels like you're in a prison cell like Paul. I don't know if you're dealing with a, a medical issue like the woman who had the issue of blood, a health issue. I don't know if you're like the disciples and you're just caught in a storm. Like maybe life's just been stormy. The sea's been rough. Maybe the wind and the waves seem really strong. All I want to remind you of is Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, He says to you, I am here. It's me. You don't have to be afraid. Tharseo. You can trust me. You can come to me. You can find peace and rest. You can take heart. And some of you need to know that. Some of you tonight need to Tharseo. Take courage. Take heart. 
in Jesus. Now, look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. Now, he probably didn't say it like that. I don't know how he said it. But he says, come. So Peter, the Bible says, look at verse 29. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, that makes no sense. I'm not talking about the walking on water part. That doesn't make any sense either. But I'm talking about getting out of the boat. That doesn't make any sense. No earthly sense at all. But you got to remember who this is. This is Peter. Peter is often the one who's quick to speak, quick to act, right? Sometimes that's been good. He's a risk taker. How many of you are risk takers? Would you raise your hand if you're a risk taker? All right. So here's the thing. You can relate to Peter. Sometimes he's impulsive and it's good. Sometimes he's a risk taker and it's good. He's got risky faith. He's the first one to raise his hand and says, I'll go. I'll do it. Sometimes it's really bad. Because sometimes that impulsive nature gets him in trouble. In fact, one time he actually told Jesus that he was wrong. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I don't, I don't think it's very nice to be called Satan. But in that moment, like Jesus is saying, you're listening to the wrong guy, Peter. There's another moment, you know, when Jesus is... Um, been arrested and about to be crucified and three different times they asked Peter do you know this guy have you been with him and Peter goes I don't know what you're talking about it's the first words out of his mouth and then right before Jesus is arrested or when Jesus is arrested in the garden what did Peter do they come to arrest him and what what did Peter do do you remember took his sword out it was cutting the ear off the Roman soldier he was going to cut his head off it's probably what he was trying to do Peter, this interesting guy, he's often a risk taker. And what happens here is that Peter sees Jesus, the, the guy who's risen, who, who is his Savior and Lord, the guy who will later rise from the dead. He sees him and he sees him walking on the water. And, and Peter goes, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter just jumps over the side of the boat. Now, the interesting part of that is that I, th I thought about it, and I thought, what was Peter thinking in that moment? Was Peter thinking he was going to have to swim to Jesus? I, I mean, you think, think about it. Just get in his head for a minute. Like, he's probably thinking, I'm going to come to you. He sees the swell. Have you ever been out on the sea when, it's, when there's huge swells? Or out on the lake when there's huge swells? So I was out deep sea fishing one time, and a storm came up. And we were on an enormous boat, but I was scared for my life. Like, those swells were higher than the boat. I don't know what the storm was like, but if they were afraid, what, then I'm assuming it's a pretty bad storm. And in this moment, Peter jumps over the side of the boat. And my thought is that he's thinking, I'm going to swim to Jesus. I'm going to get to him because it's Jesus. He had no reason to think that his foot, when it hit the water, was going to hold right? I mean, I know Jesus was doing it, but Peter and Jesus, right? He, I don't think he thought for a minute, I'm going to walk on water. I'm just going to Jesus. And here's the thing that I think we can learn from that. I, I think we can learn some faith from Peter. 
Some of us play it way too safe. Now, I'm not saying you need to be like the risk takers in the room, but some moments you need to get out of the boat. What I mean is this, is that Peter gives us a picture of what it looks like when Jesus says to come. He just goes. He doesn't know how it's going to work out. He doesn't know how he's going to get there. He just goes because Jesus said come. And it makes no sense, but Peter goes over the side of the boat, away from the safety. I wish I knew how far Jesus was away. I don't know, but Peter goes into the water. Some of you need to get out of the boat. You've been playing it safer way too long. You know, many of you know that God's called you to do something or told you to do something, and you've been playing it safe for a long time. Maybe it's Maybe it's committing to giving your money faithfully or generously to your church or missionary or somebody else and you feel like you already don't have enough money and you don't know how you would do that. Maybe it's courageously sharing your faith with somebody in your family or a neighbor or a friend and you've known them for a long time and you've never told them the reason for hope that you have in Jesus and it's because you're afraid that you don't know enough or that you'll offend them or you'll push them away. And so you've held back. Maybe it's deciding that I'm going to wake up every day early to spend time with God. And you're thinking, but I don't get enough sleep to start with. Maybe it's giving up a relationship that you have or a habit or a sin that you know you need to give up in order to follow Jesus more closely, but you've been holding back from doing it. Maybe it's saying yes to God about something He is calling you to or telling you to do, but you've been holding back and playing it safe. Some of you know because you've been hearing God in the back of your mind whisper that to you for a while, whatever it is. And you've been ignoring him. And maybe you've been thinking, well, God, I don't know how I would do that. I don't, know how, I don't know if I'm qualified. What will other people think? What if it doesn't work? And the boat starts seeming really safe. Jesus didn't call you and me to a life of safety. He called us to a life of radical surrender. And it's only in those moments of radical surrender when we get out of the boat of safety that we can see what it's like. Peter had no idea his foot was going to hold on top of that water. But in that moment, it did. He saw the power and the provision of God. And it's not until you get out of the boat of your own safety and your own comfort that you see the power of God displayed in your life. Some of you need to say yes to what God's calling you to. The interesting thing is, if you stay in the shallow end of the pool, where the water's not very deep, where you can touch the bottom, you never really learn to swim, and more importantly, you miss out on walking on water and seeing God's power. Deep water allows for deep faith. Deep water is scary, especially when it's stormy. In fact, look at the next verse here, verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now I want you to notice something. 
want you to notice that it says that when Peter saw the wind, when he looked at the wind and the waves and the storm, he was afraid. And then I know it says that Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith. But I, I want to I say that I don't think Jesus was suggesting that Peter's faith is a small amount. I know it says little, but I don't think it's the size of Peter's faith that's the problem. In fact, Jesus on another occasion said this, that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. So listen, don't, it's not good theology to say that you need a large amount of faith to see God do things in your life. No, it's not the amount of faith, it's the object of your faith. And, and, and it's not how much faith you have, it's how much power the one has that you have the faith in. Does that make sense? What happened with Peter here is he takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts his eyes on the wind and waves, and then he starts to sink. It's not the amount of faith, it's where his faith is placed. It's interesting here that when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, he puts his eyes on his circumstances, and he begins to sink. He's in the middle of the ocean, and the waves are really big, and the wind is really windy, and the rain is really rainy, and he shouldn't be there, he thinks in his mind, and he starts to sink. But look at what Jesus does. So that's what Peter does, but what does Jesus do? So Peter starts to doubt. Peter starts to worry. Peter starts to be afraid because he's just like you and me. But Jesus in this moment, what does it say? He immediately reaches out his hand and he takes hold of Peter. Why is that important? You know, some of you, if you're like me, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus in your life. It happens to me often. Often, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I put it on my circumstances. And then I begin to worry or stress or be afraid. I begin to be distracted or discouraged. Maybe in your life, it's a situation you're walking through. Maybe it's a relationship that you have that's caused you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe it's a sin or a habit. Maybe it's success. Or something that's good, but you put your eyes on it instead of on Jesus. And in those moments, I think, and I know in my own life, I begin to sink. I begin to be the one in control of my own circumstances and how am I going to pull myself out of this mess? We live in a crazy, stormy world. But you know what's beautiful about this picture? is that even in the midst of the doubt and worry, when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, Jesus reaches out and grabs him and takes hold of him. And that's important to me because I, I need you to know something. The Savior of the world, Jesus, when you doubt him, when you forget about him, when you look at other things other than him, in your struggle, in your storm and in your sin, it is not in those moments that Jesus runs away from you. It is in those moments that Jesus runs to you. It is in those moments that Jesus reaches out for you and grabs you 
and wraps his arms around you. You know what's interesting here is it doesn't say that Jesus reaches out and grabs Peter's hand. It says Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs hold of Peter. It's like a full body embrace and pulls him up out of the water. You need to know something. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know what you're stressed about. I don't know what your eyes are on. I don't know what storm you're in. I don't know if you're sinking. But I need you to know this. That your Savior, the one who came to die for you, runs to you in those moments. Not away from you. And he wants to rescue you. That's what he came for. He wants to grab hold of you and pull you out and never let go. That's who he is. Verse 33 says it's at that moment that everyone on the boat worshipped him saying, truly, he is the Son of God. Was it the moment that he walked on water? I don't know. Was it the moment that Peter jumped out of the boat? No. Was it the moment that he calmed the storm? Maybe. Maybe it was. That it just happened. He, 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 he stopped the storm. But you know, I, I think there's something beautiful. They see him pull Peter up out of the water. That's the Savior of the world. That's the Son of God. Yes, he has the power over the wind and the waves. But he has the power to rescue you. And that's the Son of God. And some of you, I don't know. I don't know where you stand with Jesus. Like, I don't know what you've concluded about him. Just like I don't know what you're walking through. I mean, maybe you've come to church tonight. Maybe you've considered the claims of the Bible before. Maybe you've tried to be a good person. But I need you to know that the answer to every storm and every struggle and every sin is Jesus. He is the answer. He's the only rescuer. He's the only savior. He's the only way out. He's the only one that can give you peace. He's the only one that can steal the still the storm. He's the only one that can raise the dead. He's the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can give you eternal life. And if you're searching for or looking to anything other than Jesus, you will not find peace. So tonight, in just a minute, when we sing in just a little bit, I'm going to stand at the back of the room. And the reason I'm going to do that is because if you tonight just need to say, I need to fully trust in Jesus, then I'm going to ask you just to come find me. And I want to wrap my arms around you, if you're all right with that. And I want to tell you how much Jesus loves you and wants you and can save you. And I just want to pray with you and celebrate that you trust in Jesus. And if you need to do that, if you're not sure about that and you need to do it tonight, come find me when we sing. Now let's look at the rest of this passage. Verse 34 says this, And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. And implored him, saying that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, they were made well. Remember I said earlier about the woman who had touched his garment that had the issue of blood. And he said, O daughter, Tharsea. It's interesting. The same thing happens here. 
Jesus makes many well. You know, I don't think that's the point of this, though, because truthfully, the point wasn't just to make people well because they got sick again and died. So his goal wasn't just to heal people from their physical infirmities. His point was to show them that he had the power over sin and death and sickness forever. And so he wanted to show them who he was. But here's the thing I want you to notice here. You see what happens? The people who recognized Jesus, the people who knew Jesus, went to find everybody else to bring them to Jesus so they could get healed. Why is that important? They weren't just satisfied with seeing, knowing, and believing in Jesus themselves. They wanted other people to know and believe. They all thought of a brother or a sister or a parent or neighbor or a co-worker who was going through their own storm or struggle, and they said, i got to go find them because Jesus is here. Here's why that's cool. You all have friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, who need healing from Jesus. Maybe they're walking through a storm. Maybe they're in a struggle. Maybe they have no peace right now. Maybe they have no idea who Jesus is. And you know, because you've met Him. And you've seen Him. And He saved you. And what do you need to do? You need to go find them and help them find Jesus. That's what these people do. You see... The people in my life that I know don't know Jesus are desperately searching for peace and for purpose. And often they're searching in all the wrong things. And you know what? When Jesus called me and saved me, He didn't call me to be a cul-de-sac or a dead end. He didn't save me just for me. He saved me so that He could use me to save other people. The question I have for you as you sit here is who do you know when you think of your family? When you think of your neighbors, when you think of your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, I'm certain you know people who don't know Jesus. And I'm also certain that you know people who are in the middle of a storm right now. How can you get them to Jesus? In fact, I just went um, two weeks ago on a mission trip to Honduras. And I don't know what it is about when you go on a mission trip, all of a sudden you're bolder with sharing about Jesus with people you've never met before. But then you come home and I feel like I can't share with my neighbor who I've known for seven years. Why? I I don't know. It's fear. I I don't know what it is. But here's, here's what I'm saying. What if right now we just stop and we think, you know, I found Jesus There are people in my life that I need to pray for right now that they would find Jesus. And I need to pray that God would give me the boldness to help them find Him. So I want you just to think of a few people in your mind. And then in just a minute, I'm going to give you the chance to pray for those people. But here's the thing. I don't think we stop at praying. I think there's probably people you could make a phone call to tonight and have a conversation with. Maybe they just need encouragement. Maybe you need to tell them about your faith in Jesus. Maybe tomorrow when you go to work, you need to have a spiritual conversation or a gospel conversation that you've needed to have for a long time. What is holding you back? Take heart. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, I want you just to spend time on your own praying for the people in your life that desperately need to know.
the peace and the power of Jesus. Would you pray for him right now? God, as I think of those people in my mind, I'm broken. I'm broken over the people that I know that don't know you. God, I, I don't know why sometimes I'm so fearful to say something or do something. God, would you give me courage? Would you give me boldness? To speak, to tell them about you, about the hope I found. God, would you save them? Would you show how powerful and good you are? Would you show them that you're the only hope that they can look to? God, if you want to use me to do it, God, I don't want to hold back. God, every name that's on the minds and hearts of everybody in this room. God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to have a conversation and point them to you. God, for anybody in this room tonight that is not sure if they've really surrendered to Jesus, God, I pray you'd give them the courage to do it right now. To just reach out and say, I need you, Jesus. And God, for everybody who's walking through a storm, God, for all of us who have struggled and are struggling and maybe even wrestling with doubt like Peter, Jesus, would you be sweet? Jesus, would you, would you just reach out your arms and put them around each person in this room who's sinking right now? And God, would you just gently say that you're going to hold on to them and give them that assurance and let them know how wonderful and good and powerful you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.